Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, my name is Matt Sin. I'm here with my brother Micah, and this is the Week in Review for Wrestle Life Radio episode 82. Glad you're keeping up with that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's easy. I have to go to Anchor and click on it, and it shows me the number. So It's true. We actually have more than 81 episodes, but we only number the, the main episode. So we apologize for being out this last week. I'm just going to be straight honest with you guys. I had a very busy week, and I was had every intention on doing a show for the weekend. And I forgot. Just forgot. And uh, I wasn't invited, so there you go. <laughs> no, I was actually sick last week for our weekend review. Uh, I could have came on, but, you know, nobody wants to hear me croak for an hour and a half, so... Took the week yeah. off. I'm back. I'm healthy. I'm better than ever. Here to express my opinions of AEW Dynamite and the other shows. You know, Kyle actually did a really good job on his solo show, though. I mean, he, he always does. He's very entertaining. He did. He's the only one of us that can manage to talk about two shows for over an hour. <laughs> I just can't. Yeah, no. I, I saw it. I'm like, oh, an hour and ten minutes. That, I guess that's kind of long, even for Kyle. And then he's like, I didn't do AEW. And I'm like, what? How? How was it an hour and ten minutes? You know, this show might be 30 minutes without him on here for all we know. Uh, uh, whatever. We say that, we're going to go for two hours, then he's going to be like, ha! And he's going to make fun of us. Yeah, but if he was here, it would have been three. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let's, uh, as you guys know, we started, you know, we started recording on Tuesdays now. And so that means AEW Dynamite is first, because that show will actually be on tomorrow night. So here to tell you about last week's AEW Dynamite. It's Micah Sin. Go ahead. That's right. Taking my my place back in the beginning. We're gonna we're gonna start our week off with dynamite, and it's all downhill from there. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do you mean like per show, or are you talking about like my my podcasting abilities? Take, I'm take kind it, of insulted. Take it as you will. Take well, it as you yeah. will. Yeah. Well, that's not very nice. It's not I'm very a, nice I, at all. <laughs> well, you know, the shoe fits. Uh, I know we didn't we didn't wow. review we didn't review AEW last week. Uh, very quickly, I'll say that I thought it was an average show. Probably give it a B, maybe a B minus. Wasn't great. Wasn't bad. You're talking but, about the show from two weeks ago. Correct. Yeah, not the one this. One, not this yeah, the one we did okay. not review last week. This okay. week's episode, however, I will say I didn't have a lot of expectations about this episode going into it with the uh, the card and in the. The Ten Lashes, I kind of figured it'd be another average filler episode. I wasn't really looking forward to any match in particular. But I will say, this is the second time this year that I've been uh, surprised about seeing someone getting beaten by a leather strap and actually enjoying it. So, I don't know what that says about me, but I thought the episode uh, was good. A little weird. A little weird. Well, maybe that says something about me, but uh, we'll, we'll get into the episode. Uh, we opened up the show. We got a video package chronicling all of John Moxley's issues with Chris Jericho in the inner circle. And I know when AEW first started, me and you both, we had a lot of issues with uh, they're not really giving the casual fans uh, that are just joining in maybe something to look back on. And uh, right. I think this really is something that if we would have seen this, this is really what we were, I mean, this is what we were begging for when AEW first started. So I was really glad to see that. Uh, they're doing a lot more of that for the new coming viewers. Uh, so I thought that was really good. The video package is, of course, leading into the opening match, which is John Moxley versus Ortiz. Uh, before the match, we have Chris Jericho and Sammy G joining in on commentary. Uh, Jake Hager is also there, but he doesn't uh, lead a lot to the conversation. 
That's true. You know, I don't even he, think he was technically on the mic. I think he was just standing there. Well, you couldn't tell the difference. He's not a man of many words. I do love Chris Jericho on commentary, though. I've said that every time he's on there. It's it's he's great. I can see that after his uh, in ring career is over, I could definitely see him on commentary. Yeah, even, he's good at everything. He, he really is. I mean, and it's it's also good to have a heel presence on commentary. It, AEW doesn't normally have that. Um, watching Raw and SmackDown more recently, as much as I hate Corey Graves, it's nice to have the back and forth between the 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 heel and the face commentators every once in a while. We've got three face commentators right now on AEW. Which, yeah. which also works out, but it's nice to have the change-up every once in a while. Uh, going into the match, I don't have a whole lot to say about it, really. It's kind of an average match, at least in my opinion. They did mean, mention that uh, Ortiz had not competed in singles action in like two years, which is crazy. And I wouldn't say that he was held back by that fact in this match. It was it was a good match, you know, but AEW is full of, of great matches. Right. So maybe that's why I didn't seem so pumped about this. Not a whole lot to say about it. You know, Moxley, he won the match in the end. He came up with a paradigm shift. However, this match was set up for a really good after-match segment to me. After the match, Moxley quickly turned his attention to the rest of the inner circle, but he got hit with a sneaky sneak by Santana. He came in uh, to defend, obviously, Ortiz's honor, but Moxley quickly gained control of the situation. He hit Santana with a paradigm shift. And uh, he proceeded to taunt Jericho and, and Hager and Guevara down there on the commentating stand. And then he takes out the keys to his brand new Ford GT. And I'll be honest, I didn't see where this was going. Maybe I'm stupid, but this kind of caught me by surprise. I guess it seems more like a heel move, so that's why I wasn't expecting it. But hey, an eye for an eye, just like he said. He goes to Jericho, he says, an eye for an eye. He takes the key between his knuckles and he jabs it into Santana's eye. And the crowd just ate this up. I ate this up. I loved it. I'm, I'm glad to see... Uh, I thought it was, it was good to have Moxley take some revenge. I thought that him getting beaten down by the inner circle so many times, it kind of made him look a little weak. I thought this was a really good, strong point for him to really bring back, you know, the baddest guy in the locker room kind of demeanor that he's, he's had since he came to AEW. Uh, you know, I think that the victory over Santana in this segment really gave him more than the victory over Ortiz in the match did. So I yeah. thought it, I thought it was great. Um, of course, he he very quickly ran away because he's not a dumb baby face. He uh, ran away through the crowd, which I loved. I'm glad he didn't stand there for a four v one like he did was it last week, uh, or it was like a ten v one. Even it was it was not great, but that was not this week. This week was good. Uh, after that, we have SCU versus the Best Friends. And I would have loved to see some three-on-three action here. You got two three-man tag teams. But I'm not going to complain. We still got Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian versus Trent and Chuck Taylor. Uh, SCU, of course, is coming off the loss of their title, trying to keep their number one contender spot. And Best Friends are trying to climb up the ranking with a win over the previous tag team, tag team champs. Apparently, I can't talk tonight. Uh, I thought this was a very solid tag match. Uh, only helped, of course, by the comedic timing of Orange Cassidy. Yes. He had a couple of just fantastic spots. Uh, the most of which was when everybody's laid out outside the ring. You know, you've got both of the best friends down, SCU's down. And then Orange Cassidy comes up, and I'm like, man, is he going to show some offense against SCU and help his team get the, the betterment of him? Nope. That's not what he did. 
he's going to lay down because he's Orange Cassidy. And that's what he does. But I, I, I loved it. I mean, I, the thing I love about Orange Cassidy is because they're doing such a good job of keeping him in small doses. I think they're really using him and his gimmick perfectly. Um, they could do a lot more. They could try to push him down your throat until you hate him. But they're just giving to him in small, comedic doses, and I think that's great. Uh, this match was good. It made both teams look very strong. I mean, it basically told the story that, you know, barring one major mistake, the best friends could have won this. They could have beaten the previous tag team champs. Uh, they had all the momentum in the match. But instead of going for the pin right there at the end, they had to give the people what they wanted. They stopped for a quick hug spot, and in doing so, they allowed SCU to recover and get the win. thought this was good storytelling. You know, I don't think it'll really lead anywhere. I think this was kind of just a filler match leading into the segment afterwards, but I will say that I enjoyed it. Uh, after the match, we have the Dark Order coming out. And they're making good on their promise to Christopher Daniels last week, and they're attacking SCU. And uh, as the Dark Order is standing tall in the ring, everyone's favorite hero, Orange Cassidy, appears. He comes face-to-face -face with the army of spooky perverts. And uh, if this were anyone else, I would say this is a dumb babyface move, but Orange Cassidy, if he really used the extent of his powers, he could have taken them all out, but instead chose to hold back on revealing his powers and was promptly beaten down after refusing a gimp mask from Evil Uno. And as Orange Cassidy is getting beaten down, in comes Christopher Daniels to the rescue. He runs the entire Dark Order out of the ring. The uh, Dark Order... Uh, quickly left, um, even though you know Christopher Daniels is egging them on for a fight. But it doesn't appear as if they want to hurt Christopher Daniels, which raises some questions for the audience. Why are they so hesitant to beat him down? Why is he so valued to him, valuable to them? What's their actual end game here? I thought this was really inter interesting storytelling. Uh, it wasn't overdone, so I, I thought that was good. You know, we've seen some Dark Order segments that seemed overbooked, overdone. This was this was another good dosage of uh, spooky perverts, so uh, that's that's all I got to say about that. I liked it, and I liked the segment. I I liked the match. I think the Dark Order has really evolved, you know, just like uh, everybody said they would on the EVPs. Uh, it's, it's and honestly, this storyline is probably keeping some casuals coming back week after week to find out how it develops. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, this is not how I uh, how I saw their storyline going when I first saw the Dark Order. Didn't like them at all. But, uh, yeah, they've won me over like they have on a lot of things. So, speaking of things they've won me over on, next up we have Britt Baker versus Yuka Sakazaki. Uh, apparently, she's had a couple other appearances on AEW on their earlier pay-per-views. I don't have yeah, a lot of experience she, with her. Yuka Sakazaki, other than maybe Hikaru Shida, has been my favorite female in AEW so far. Uh, I mean, you can't really count Awesome Kong for her non-AEW work. So she is just really, really cool. She had a, a match at the six-man tag at Fighter Fest. And she's had one of the match, too. It was a triple threat where Riho uh, wrestled Nyla Rose and... Oh, my gosh. Who was it? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. It was Riho, Yuka, and Nyla Rose. And Riho won that match uh, by pinning Nyla. So those are the only two matches she's been in so far, and she's been gone for a long time. And people were asking Kenny Omega if she was going to be back, and he recently said, it was like two weeks ago, that uh, uh, he would, she would be. So we're really excited. 
Yeah, I uh, don't have, a, like I said, I don't have a lot of experience with it. I didn't get to watch those early AEW pay-per-views, but uh, yeah, every everyone I've seen talk about her has only been positive, so apparently she's very well-liked. Yeah, she's she's really good. Yeah, and and apparently they were saying she's pretty much the size of Riho. I mean, looking at her, she looks a little bit bigger. Yeah. But she does a, I mean, I have issues with Riho, and the majority of that is I don't feel like she puts weight behind her moves, and I yeah. don't have that same complaint with her. I feel like even though she's small, she still seems to be putting more weight behind her moves, and they seem more real to me. Yeah. Uh, it was a short match. You know, not a whole lot happened in the match. It was it was funny hearing Excalibur try and explain to JR who she is. Um, I think her gimmick maybe comes from an anime. Yeah, she's uh, a magical girl was originated by Sailor Moon. And so okay. all those like Sailor Moon type animes, and I, I'm not an expert on magical girl animes. I just know Sailor Moon was Sailor Moon was the originator, and okay. uh, that's kind of where she's you know kind of going from. And I think Jr. was like, she looks like a genie, and I'm like, all right, close enough, Jr. Congratulations. Yeah, Excalibur was trying to go in the explanation without bringing the anime onto it because he just didn't want to have to deal with that from Jr. I could tell in the moment. Uh, it was it was a real boomer moment from Jr. Though it was. Is, you know, we, we have a lot of those. We have a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a good match. It was a short match. Uh, the match ended with uh, Britt Baker trying to apply the lockjaw on uh, Sakazaki. But uh, she was able to shift her weight and hit her with a surprise roll-up because apparently that's how Joshi wrestlers win. Uh, I guess. I don't know. Anyways, she won. Thought it was an odd choice. I was surprised to see Baker lose at this point in her push as a heel. Uh, they're finally starting to get some people behind her. I'm finally starting to get behind her with a new personality. And uh, I feel like what happened after the match made it okay. Because what happened after the match really cemented her as a heel. I mean, there's definitely no question now. She's full heel Britt Baker. Um, after the match, she goes out of the ring, distraught in her loss. She quickly grabs the ring bell. She rolls in the ring with it. And she drives Yuka into the ring ropes with a headshot from the ring bell. Uh, then Aubrey Edwards asserts her dominance, albeit a little late, in taking the bell away from her. Uh, she's obviously laid out. Sakazaki is obviously laid out on the mat. And we pan down to see her just bloodied. And you pan down and you see some teeth on the mat. Yeah, one like, of them was in like Yuka's hand. Yeah, like, like she had knocked her teeth out. And I just thought that was great. I love this angle, and I've said it from the beginning. The Dennis gimmick is best suited for heel because of stuff like this. I mean, this segment definitely left me more invested in Britt Baker as a heel. Right. Way more invested than any of her face uh, run did. So I thought this was great. I'm excited to see more of Yuka, and I'm excited to see more of Britt Baker as a heel. This is probably the first time, well, maybe second time, I've walked away from a women's match just like, yeah, I liked everything about that. You know, I thought that was thought that was good. Um, okay. It was a short match, though, so they didn't give a whole lot of time to make me dislike it, which is okay. You don't have to have 20-minute matches between, you know, two mediocre wrestlers every week because right. sometimes it seems like they try to push that. Uh, after that match, we did not have a short match. We had the match between the Butcher, the Blade, and the Lucha Brothers versus the Elite and Hangman Page because he's not part of the Elite. Correct. Cut that because they've never put it on TV. But uh, yeah, uh, we had the gang coming out, the Elite coming out, that is, to the BTE theme song. Uh, Hangman quickly rushed past them and 
as always, you had a great lower third for him. His lower third read doesn't like this song, which I thought was great <laughs> because it feels like Hangman has said, hey, I'm not part of the elite, but no one believes him. You know, he said, hey, I don't want to be part of this group anymore, but they didn't give him his own theme coming out. He just came out with the elite, and I feel like he was upset about that, and I thought this was great. Uh, I wish we saw more of the lower third stuff for other wrestlers as well, because it's always it's always fantastic. It's always so good. It's so good. Uh, everything with Hangman's story lately has been great, though. We'll get into that. Uh, this was a great match, fantastic match, minus a few spots that were, you know, AEW-ish, where they kind of hung around and waited for a dive to the outside. I even I looked at Riley, and I was like, I wish they would quit doing that. You know, they've, they've got the capability to make it look good. They've done it a couple times, but there were a couple times where the person wasn't positioned, so they just got up and then stammered over to where the other people are, and then whoever made the jump to the outside, and they all caught him, and it's... I don't know. It's not my favorite thing, but I, I can look past it. It was still a really good match. It had so many flippy, great moves, way too many to list. So just take my word for it. It was great. Uh, the match ended with Hangman fighting off almost the entire other team. Uh, he had injured his knee previously on a dive to the outside. And then you see Hangman going to the corner. Uh, both of the Bucks there are reaching out for the tag, but... Throughout the entire match, Hangman has not tagged the Bucks, nor have they tagged him. And the same was true for their match in Jacksonville as well. Uh, no, that wasn't Jacksonville. Where did they have their previous match? I don't know. It doesn't uh, matter. I don't, I don't remember. Uh, I'm assuming he went to, Hang, uh, to, to Kenny for the tag, but Kenny wasn't in the corner. And in seeing that there was no Kenny, he decided to fight on for himself because, I don't know, he doesn't like the Bucks, I guess. Uh, he was obviously affected by the knee injury, and his refusal to tag the Bucks ended up being his downfall. Pentagon hit him with a pinna driver, got the one, two, three, and the Elite have lost their first match together, I believe it is. Um, the match finish really surprised me, to be honest. I expected some tension between the Bucks and Hangman, obviously, throughout the match, but I didn't expect to ha for them to have Hangman eat the pin. You know, newly tag team champions. Uh, I can see where they're coming from, from in a storytelling standpoint. Uh, it's just furthering the wedge between Hangman and the Elite. And, you know, I'm going to continue to eat up this story because it's it's the best story going on right now in wrestling. It may be one of my favorites since I've started watching wrestling again, really. Yeah, it's really good. It's so good. Um, so I'm, I'm you know, I'm fine to see where this goes. Uh, after the match, you know, uh... The Bucks are obviously upset with Hangman, uh, even going as far as to shoving him. But uh, Kenny comes in, and being the mediator that he is, he gets between them and then broke it up. Uh, Hangman quickly exits, of course, downing a few beers from the crowd. And uh, yeah, I still feel like this story is really going to surprise fans because me personally, I don't see it as a heel turn for Paige. I see it more as a, not full heel turn, but kind of a... He turned towards heel for everyone around him because it, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not submitting him as a heel in my mind. They're submitting him as a guy who has some bad friends. Yeah. Really. That's, that's what I can see it as. Um, guys having a rough time. I mean, I think if you're a good friend to Hangman, just like Kenny has been at, at times, you know, he'll treat you well. I mean, he's still close with Kenny, but he's just, he's just having a rough go of it. So, uh, give him a break. Be, be nice to him, you know. You lost one match. Get over it. 
Uh, after the break, uh, Pack is goading Omega into accepting his challenge for a rubber match. He's uh, there with Riho, I believe it was, threatening her. And of course, Kenny quickly gave into it and said, you know, whatever, you can have your match, you can have your match. And then Pack said, okay. And then he just kind of exits the picture, but said this isn't over. And in comes Nyla Rose. She wait, 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 wait. wait. Hmm? You, you missed a line. Am I skipping? Am I skipping? You know, you missed a line. So he said, he said, I'm not a lunatic. I would never attack a woman, but she's a beast and she would. And Nyla Rose came in and then, hmm. and then attacked her. But let's talk about this real quick. And I, I don't mean to cut you off, but Go ahead. I hated this. I hated it so much. And I shouldn't hate it because Pac is amazing and his promo was great. But like as he's sitting there threatening her, she's just like staring at him. And I'm like, why is she there? Like, was was the interviewer like, hey, let's interview Pac and Riho at the same time. There was zero reason. It's not like, you know, he went and searched for her like he did Nakazawa. It's like cut to her. And the interview is just like, interviewer's like standing in between the two of them. Like, hey, Pac, what are you, what are you here for? And he's like, I'm going to attack this little girl if Kenny doesn't give me the match. Ha, 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 ha. It's really, really stupid. And one of the dumbest things I've seen on AEW TV, not as far as, like, bad. It was dumb. It made no sense. And they haven't done a lot of stuff that didn't make any sense. If this was on Raw or SmackDown, I would rant about it for 15 minutes. So i got to be fair here. It was so, so stupid, and I hated it. In their defense... Riho does not speak English, so she does not know what's going on. For her, yeah, for all she knows, guy, she's just having an interview. Okay, but this guy that is her her partner, her partner's biggest enemy right now, and attacked her other friend, Nak- Michael Nakazawa, and he's like, I'm just going to sit here. I, I guess he wants me here. What is he like? Hey, Riho, come here. And she just stands there while he cuts his promo. I mean, come on, man. It's, yeah, it's I mean, he could have, stupid. like, held on to her or something. I mean, I could see why they wouldn't want that visual on TV. Yeah, or if, like, you know, maybe maybe uh, he, like, busted into her locker room and, you know, well, he that's got a little pervy. Going. I know it's pervy, but I'm telling you, like, he's crazy, right? So yeah, he is. He busts into her locker room, and then the interviewer's there with him, and, like, maybe she looks afraid or something, and then he cuts the promo. But no, all they did was he... He was there, and the only reason she was there, so one, he could, you know, threaten Kenny, and two, so Nala Rose could smash her through the table, because I knew that was going to happen as soon as she said the word beast. I'm like, oh, mm. she's going to throw a Riho through that table. That's why it's there. Correction. It's just- she didn't go through the table, because Riho's not heavy enough to make it through a table. I, I'm t- she got hit onto the table, and the table didn't even break. I <laughs> know. It's just, this whole segment, it was, it was... By the performers, done well, but it was very poorly written, and I hate, I couldn't stand it the whole time. I'm like, this is so stupid, and it took me out of the out of the TV show. I didn't like it at all. Yeah, I, I think it may have been better maybe to cut in there and to have Nyla holding Riho down or something. You know, maybe that would have worked a little. That's bit an better. even that's an even better one. Yeah, I think really what the segment was trying to do. I think they're trying to make sure that everyone on the roster pretty much has a female to go with them. Because I think yeah. they're working on bringing in intergender wrestling. I wouldn't even be surprised to see an intergender title come in because they had uh, someone had asked Cody about the new mid-card title or how they were going to bring a mid-card title in. And he said he's going to bring in a title like nobody's ever seen on uh, national TV. So I could see them doing something like that. You know, you got uh, Penelope and Kip. You've got Kenny and Riho. You've got uh, Nyla and Pac now. So I can Cody see them. Yeah, Cody and Brandy. Yeah, we uh, 
I, I can see that's where they're doing with it. But yeah, I, I can see where you had issues with the segment. I don't think it's the worst thing we see on AEW TV because I don't think you've watched a Nightmare Collective segment in a while. Because <laughs> uh, it's not even close. But yeah, I, I can see your issues with it. Um, but I, it didn't ruin the episode or anything for me. So okay. There's, there's that. However, we're going into something that I didn't like, which is Kip Sapien versus Janela. Uh, I haven't been a huge fan of Janela throughout his AEW tenure, but I will say that last week's kiss interruption that he did was one of my favorite things he's done. Yeah. I thought it was great. I loved his match versus Ray Phoenix on dark. I thought it was a very good match and it kind of started to turn me around on him. Maybe he can actually be a good uh, addition to the roster, not just a hardcore guy, but man, this just wasn't a good match. I didn't like it. It was just mediocre. Maybe my expectations are, again, high because it's AEW, but if I would have saw this match on Raw, I probably would have skipped it. Um, it. It just, I didn't like it. I didn't I didn't like yeah. storytelling in the match. It's, it's kind of, I don't think it had an identity in the match either. No, it didn't, and I don't know why this wasn't on the pay-per-view. I mean, they've kind of been building it for quite some time. Oh, they're going to have a rematch because they had that stupid ending. You know, yeah. he hit him with a surprise roll-up, and he holds onto the tight, so now he gets a rematch. And it'll lead to the probably opening card of uh, Revolution. Yeah, probably I, on I the pre-show. Know. I didn't like it. I think Kip Sapien is better than this feud. Um, I don't know what else they have for him to do, really. But yeah, I didn't like it. So I'm not going to really talk about it anymore. We then have something I do want to talk about for quite a while. The main event segment of the evening. Okay. Which I was surprised was afforded so much time, really, on the program. Yeah, like but 20 minutes, I think. Yeah, it, was like tw- it, was, it was a long segment, but I was not disappointed. Um, I think you can look back into a previous episode, and we probably both had something to say about we weren't really looking forward to this segment, and they thought the stipulation was kind of dumb. Correct. Uh, I couldn't see how they could make it convincing and not corny. I expected it to be something like the Vince McMahon kiss my butt segments, really. Um, but I should have learned not to doubt the genius of Cody and MJF, because this segment was great. It was really great. It was very akin to the Tommy Dreamer Sandman segment. Like you said, you hoped it would be. That's exactly what it ended up being for me. Um, Cody comes out of the ring alone to face MJF and Wardlow for his 10 lashes. And MJF being the heel that he is, he says that his belt is much too good for this and demands that Cody instead give him his. Uh, Cody then prepares for his first hit. And MJF did not pull any punches. I obviously they sat down beforehand and said, "Hey, you got to make this look convincing." But man, I wouldn't be surprised if after this, Cody's a little bit upset at MJF in real life because he beat the tar out of him, as we would say in Alabama. I mean, he beat the snot out of him. He just did not hold back on any of the lashes. With the first lash, you could tell the marks on his back. And uh, after the first lash, the heels of the locker room start barreling out to get a closer look at the action. Uh, We had the second lash come down on Cody. And him and MJF are face-to-face. MJF's just begging Cody to hit him. And I thought MJF did a great job of explaining his thought process throughout this segment without really saying anything. Because he's this cocky heel and he's so sure that Cody isn't going to go off on him and beat him up and hit him and he'll never have to face him and he does such a good job playing that cocky smug heel but you can see in his face he lets that facade drop occasionally throughout this segment 
And I, I just, MJF is so good. He's so young. He's going to be so much greater. Cody's so good. He's so great. I can't believe that uh, other promotions haven't seen the full capabilities of him. But yeah, throughout this whole segment, it was just it was just great the the storytelling from both of their faces without without saying anything which is uh, in my opinion that's what really makes a good wrestler is connecting with the audience without even having to say anything yeah i thought that was great uh we have the third lash coming in hitting cody he's brought to his knees and out comes his coach arn anderson and he looks like he is ready to spinebuster mjf and wardlow into oblivion yep I, I thought it was great. He comes out and, and Cody insists, no, he has to do this. And MJF says, yeah, he has to do this. And then we have a fourth and a fifth lash. And out comes Dustin Rhodes to support his little brother. He comes face to face with MJF and Wardlow, insisting that this is enough. Please give him the other five lashes. And honestly, this is the part of the segment that really hit me the most emotionally. Yeah, because it's a real story of a big brother coming in to defend his little brother. I mean, you've heard stories like this your entire life, right? And you can just see Dustin coming out of the schoolyard and defending his little brother from this bully, but his little brother is fighting through it and says, "No, he has to do this for himself." Yeah, MGF did it did well too. He's like. Uh, Dustin's going, please, just let me take it. And MJF says, oh, you want to take it? You want to take it? Well, it doesn't work that way. I'm like, yeah, oh, that's such a, such a, you know, such an easy line to deliver, but it, it, it invokes so much emotion. And he does it so perfectly. I mean, everything yeah. that MJF and Cody did this entire episode was just A plus perfect. Uh, yeah, so he's, he's berating him saying, no, it has to be Cody. He then hits him with strike number six, number seven. And then out come the Young Bucks to defend Cody. Uh, Cody stands up and faces MJF directly. He's backed up by the crowd, chanting his name. And uh, he stand, He turns around, and MJF hands the belt to Wardlow. And, oh, my God. Uh, this one was so loud. Oh, my gosh. He just unloads on him. He steps into it. And he hit Cody harder than I think anyone's ever been hit with a leather belt. It was crazy. ridiculous. And this one strike, this few seconds of airtime, built up the oncoming cage match so much for me. And yeah. I'm sure for so many other people. Because you know that Cody's going to be seeking revenge for that. I mean, maybe even a little bit in real life. Because, good lord, that you got to watch it. That strike was outrageous. It was, you know, I, I loved it. It was great. I'm glad he got that strike in. And after this, uh, he's reduced to basically crawling. Uh, he's, he's feeding off the cheers of the fans. He's trying to get it back up to his feet, but he can't. He collapses to the mat. And then out comes Chief Branding Officer Brandy Rhodes. Not yeah. to be confused with Nightmare Collective Brandy Rhodes, because I guess that's her evil twin, because this is early AEW Brandy Rhodes that comes out. So um, before she came out, Carol said, Brandy has to come out. Yeah. And I said, it wouldn't make any sense with what's happening with the Nightmare Collective. And she said, but this is her husband. She has to come out. And as soon as she said that, she came out. I mean, and I think that this was supposed to, and you're the one that showed me the the uh, the Brandy Rhodes therapy sessions. Yeah. And I think that this was their on-screen way of writing it off, which isn't good enough. It's not. They need to show the therapy sessions on. They were really good. 
They're so no good. reason not to give them not a reason to give them ninety seconds on a TV show, but I think this was their way of saying, you know what, the Nightmare Collective is done after the AEW Dark thing where Mel turned on Awesome Kong and now Brandy's normal again. So I think she'll probably start uh, coming to the ring again with Cody. Yeah, man. I honestly. If they want to do this whole Nightmare Collective thing and they want to have Brandy as Cody's wife, if they would have like shut the lights off, cut in the match, and then you have Awesome Kong cutting Wardlow's stupid little ponytail. <laughs> if they would have came out and, you know, beaten down MJF, that probably would have turned me around on the Nightmare Collective, but apparently it's a little too far gone, so they've decided to cut the storyline. If they would have aired the therapy sessions and and built up to this a little bit, it would have been a little bit more impactful for Brandy coming in to me. And instead, they just kind of brought her back in as regular chief branding officer Brandy Rhodes instead of the voodoo woman she has been. So, I don't know. I thought that was, is, you know, it's, a, it's another issue that AEW has. They show a lot of stuff uh, on their social media or on their YouTube channel. They said they're going to work on it, but I haven't seen a, a whole lot of progress towards that yet. So, they've they've... Made right on their promises in the past, so we'll see if they get better with that. But anyways, back to this segment. We have the 10th Lash. You know, Cody gets back up to his feet after that uh, pep talk by his wife to take one last blow from MJF. And at this point, you can kind of see in an MJF's face that he's upset. And he hits Cody with one last blow across the chest. But now Cody's done it. He's taken the 10 Lashes. All he has to do is get through Wardlow for his final stipulation, and then he gets to face MJF. Obviously, at this point, MJF is basically throwing a hissy fit because this is not the way he wanted this to go. He was hoping he'd get out of the match. You know, he was hoping he would, wouldn't have to face Cody. He knows that if he does, he probably won't be able to win, and all of this will be for naught. And I really liked that. I liked how he kind of let his guard down there for a minute. He went from cocky heel to coward heel pretty quick, and it's something great that uh, Chris Jericho does, you know, as well. Yeah. Um, obviously, he's learned a lot from him through watching him and probably even dealing with him backstage. It's just like watching a young Chris Jericho. I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's great. But honestly, more polished than Chris Jericho was when he was young. Right. He's, he's so good to be so young. I know what he's everybody's saying. He's not as that. good in the ring, but he's he's as good or better on the mic. I don't know, yeah. man. Jericho was really good when he was young, too. I haven't so. been impressed by MJF in the ring. Maybe he's holding back for that Revolution match. But... uh I've seen some stuff he did in the indies that was really great. Um, yeah. he, had, he actually had a match against Janela, and I think it was CCW that was great. Or maybe it was one of the spring breaks, um, which, you know, if you can have a good match against Janela, you probably have a good match. So uh, I thought this segment was great, though. I, I'm, I liked having Cody gain some strength through all of his help of his friends and his family. Right. I, I loved MJF, you know, dropping the facade there at the end. Really, I just thought this was an A-plus segment. You know, Cody's facial expressions, his body language, his ability to get the fans to sympathize with him. It just made this entire segment. You know, he, he conveyed so much emotion through his face. He sucked the audience in. And every crack of the belt just made fans want to rip MJF apart. You know, they wanted right. to see their hero saved. They wanted to end the suffering. And this is just... A perfect wrestling angle for me you know the fans all bought it i bought it they reacted perfectly and now they want to invest their hard-earned i assume 50 dollars for the pay-per-view to see yeah. cody beat the snot out of mjf so 
yeah, I thought this was just the epitome of perfect pro wrestling, perfect angle. Um, this segment really was made for Cody and Cody alone. I don't know if anybody else could have done it as well as he did. Um, I think that somebody else would have maybe overacted or, or failed to generate the same emotions he did. But it's in segments like this when emotions are so high for fans and, and invest them into your company and into your programs. So I just loved it. I thought the main event was great. I thought the show was good. If I had to rate this show, I'd probably go ahead and give it an A. Not seeing an A-plus show from AEW yet because I don't know what that looks like, so I'm just going to give the show an A. Well, he did. The show wasn't quite over, so after the lashes, uh, everyone jumped in to save Cody. And remember that MGF like turned around like he was all upset, like you talked about, but he did turn around and kick Cody in the balls afterwards. That's true, and he, he and Wardlow ran off, yeah. See, and Wardlow ran off. Now, I forget. And, and then something else silly that I didn't really like it's like it was like oh MGF was attacked by a fan. It was Frankie Kazarian. Yeah, so he had like, gear on. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. You gotta if, if you're gonna do that stuff, which I don't like anyway. You gotta sell it better than that. So I, yeah. I so it's afterwards, why it would it be recorded. Frankie Kazarian? Everybody, it was a, it was a tag team champion. So apparently, that wasn't supposed to happen. That wasn't uh, written in. But Frankie Kazarian took it on his own self. He was like, well, somebody's got to go after him. It looks stupid if nobody does. And so he went after him. And then commentating didn't know who it was because they couldn't see anything okay. but the little screen. So they that were confused. And that's what caused the confusion with the fans. So it wasn't written in like that. That was just something that happened in the moment. So I can give him a little bit of break for that. Also, I just remembered a segment that I'm glossing over. Uh, Hangman's back backstage getting oh, interviewed. Oh, yeah, this was so good. That uh, was like the best part of the show. It was, it was one of the best parts of the show. It was such a BTE segment to me. It was definitely something you can see on Being the Elite, which is, I love Being the Elite. I know it's not your favorite, but it's it's just a great comedy, little 10-minute-a-week yeah. thing. Um, you have him being interviewed by one of the backstage, I don't, I don't even remember who it was. Anyways, so was he's Tony. getting, was it Tony? Okay, he's getting. I believe so. I think no, so, yeah. It was a woman. Oh, that's right. It was DDP's daughter. Okay, is that who that is? Okay, so yeah. he was he was getting interviewed by her, and he's got a beer in his hand, and the Bucks come up like, "Hey, man, what the heck? What was going on back there? You know what what happened?" And uh, I, I couldn't understand what he was saying. Was he saying like, "Oh, my shoulder, my shoulder's messed up" or something? Was that what yeah, he's saying? I, I'm not sure. I think he was kind of intentionally slurring his words, kind of feigning being drunk a little bit. Yeah, and. Uh, Matt's like, man, what's what's your problem? Oh, I know what your problem is. That's your problem. And grabs the beer from him and, and carries it off. And then you cut back to Hangman. He looks kind of confused like, hey, man, you took my beer. And then all of a sudden, out of the frame, he just has an entire pitcher of beer now. Yeah. Because I guess he's a superhero and his superpower is conjuring beer. <laughs> he just got a, his whole pitcher of beer. That was so great. It was such a BTE segment. I loved that. Um, actually, on BTE this week, I don't know if you watched it, they kind of delved in that a little bit more. And uh, after walking away, uh, Matt's got the beer, and he's like, oh, man, I don't know what Hangman's problem is. I don't know why he likes his stuff so much, because uh, I don't know if you know, but Matt and Nick Jackson are straight edge. They don't yeah. drink. Um, I actually don't know if they've ever drank the way they were talking in this BTE. He's, he's sitting there, and he's, he's like, I don't know why he likes his stuff so much. It's got such an effect on him, and blah blah blah. And he's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what, what, it, what is it? And he's like, should I, should I, should I try it? Should I, should I take a sip? No, I'm straight edge. I don't do that. What, what if someone sees me? 
oh, maybe I'll just take a, a quick sip. And he takes a quick sip of the beer and he spits it out. He's like, oh God, that's terrible. Why have I, w- I waited 36 years to try this and it tastes like that. It's awful. What's his problem? And I just thought that was great. Cause that's, you know, that's my opinion. Everybody has their opinion, but that's my same opinion on beer. So yeah. uh, I, I thought it was, thought that was great. Uh, yeah. Great show. I'm glad I remembered that segment because that was probably one of the better parts of the show. But yeah, let's yeah. Uh, let's move on to the the other shows. Yeah, so we're going to go into SmackDown, and uh, SmackDown was good, but was it great? Let's find out. So we open up. I do want to point out that there were two great, not good, great segments in this week's SmackDown, and one of them opened the show. You had John Morrison and The Miz. They were doing the dirt sheet. They were fine. The Miz says he's a chick magnet. And John Morrison said, you, you still doing that, man? He said, dude, I got a wife and two little girls at home. It's more, you know, it makes more sense now than it ever did. It's kind of funny. But what was great was they had a parody of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And it was like this movie trailer with Morrison and The Miz. And it had Mr. Miz in it. It had Lance Storm. It had John Laurinaitis making cameos. And I'm not going to get into everything about it because it, it's on YouTube if you want to go watch it. It was incredibly funny. It was very, very funny. Yeah, and so I, I really hope that with the new WrestleMania coming out in Hollywood, um, I don't know if you remember, like back in, was it like 07 they did? Yeah, it's WrestleMania, WrestleMania 21, whatever that was. They had was a lot five. of parodies like this, and they're great. I love, I love this kind of stuff. I would love yeah. to see more of this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was it was a whole great parody. And then that that said, Miss said, oh, that might not be Oscar worthy, but it sure is worthy of the tag team titles. <laughs> and so Kofi and Big E come out and yeah, this is really weird for me because Kofi and Big E came out. Right. And they're arguing with Miz and Morrison. And then the Usos come out. And they're sitting there, you know, after Miz and Morrison says, we beat all everyone in the tag team division. And the Usos come out and like, did you did you see everyone? You know, I, I don't see everyone. Who? 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 And they were doing the little thing. And then, like, Dolph Ziggler's music hits. And he and Bobby Roode, you know, start to come out. And Miz and Morrison attack the New Day. And the Usos come in and make the save. And you're like, oh, they're setting up an eight-man tag. Well, they didn't. The Miz and Morrison and the New Day just left during the commercial break, which is fine. But they always do this to set up an eight-man tag. So it was just so weird. They're just unimportant. I don't know. It was strange. Dusos beat Rude and Ziggler. I, I don't know. Like, how long have, how long has this gone on? I just can't. I can't do it anymore, guys. And you just wait until we get to the Baron Corbin segment because I'm so sick of this feud. I thought we were done. Yeah. The matches are always fine, but just, gosh, whatever. Um, The announcers hyped Goldberg's appearance. And guess what? Goldberg was not there. And if I bought a ticket to see Bill Goldberg, I would be very angry because they were hyping Bill Goldberg being on SmackDown. And, like, he's he just, just, spoiler alert, backstage segment, like, at his home. Made no sense. Uh, Alexa and Nikki are backstage, and Nikki congratulates Alexa Bliss for being in a fatal four-way for a future uh, SmackDown Women's title shot later tonight. And Bliss says, oh, I have something twisted up my sleeve because twisted Bliss. Just, uh, come on. Uh, We show Roman Reigns beating King Corbin, and then we see Corbin storm a production truck. And he's like, who showed that? 
who was it you no was it you and this one guy's like it was it's me it's me baron and so he just grabs him and tosses him down the stairs so the guy should be dead luckily he's not because this is a scripted television show adam pierce who has more authority than triple h at this point on smackdown says you've gone too far get out of here and he laughs and walks away elias and cesaro have a match and uh I will tell. I will. I will ask you. Did you watch SmackDown? I did. I did. Oh, okay. Well, I was, I was gonna. I was gonna ask you who you thought won. Like Cesaro is one of my favorite wrestlers in all of the WWE in all of the world right now. He can't buy a win. Like I don't think he could bribe someone into a win if he had all the money of the Million Dollar Man. He'd be like, yeah, here's a here's a hundred grand. Why don't you just lay down for me for three seconds? He'd be like, nah, man. Okay, well here's two hundred fifty grand. I'm I'm a pretty talented wrestler. How about you just take it easy on me? No, man, I'm, you know, you're Cesaro. I can't lose to you. It's just, it's a bummer. Yeah. I don't even know if he can oh. beat Brandon Cutler at this point. I just, I don't know. He won with the elbow drop off the top rope. It was, it just happened. It, it happened. Whatever. Uh, Charlotte Flair is announced for backstage. We don't care. You see Goldberg, and he's getting mic'd up, and he's getting ready to cut his promo. And we say, or we see oh, Bill Goldberg is up next on WWE SmackDown. And we come back from commercial. And we get Baron Corbin. And he comes out and he says, you know what? I'm so sick of Roman Reigns. And I think this is ridiculous that he always says the Usos there as his cronies. And there's no way he could have defeated me on his own. And I'm like, just, I just, Baron, did you watch the match? Were you there? And yes, I understand that you're a heel. And I understand that you're you're supposed to make excuses, and that's your character. But just, my gosh. And so last week, I was all frustrated. And I wasn't able to record. I really wanted to record because I wanted to rant on the fact that they were continuing this feud. And Kyle said in the show, this is fine because this is an obvious blow-off. And I thought, oh my gosh, Kyle, I hope you're right. Well, Kyle was wrong. Because they continue, they're continuing this. And there, there was like some ridiculous stat, and I can't remember the exact number, but it was like out of Baron Corbin's last 41 televised matches, 37 of them were against Roman Reigns in some aspect. And it's just, my gosh, I understand this. you got to be in a holding pattern for Super Showdown. But it just blows my mind that this feud that no one really wanted to see anyway was full of stupid crap, like all the dog food garbage, it was full of the, you know, here comes the fake dog coming out. They've got the stupid, you know, fake dog music. Everyone's hated this feud the whole time. And it's one of the longest running feuds in recent memory. And I don't get it. It's so bad. Let's drop it. But no, we have to extend for Super Showdown so we can get all that Saudi Arabian blood money. It just blows my mind. I can't, I just don't get it. I don't understand why they can't move these guys to new feuds. Roman Reigns is one of the biggest stars in the entire company. Baron Corbin, like him or not, is set up as one of the biggest heels in the company. And it's just it's just gone on way too long. I don't, way too I long. don't know if I've seen Baron Corbin in a singles match against anyone other than Roman Reigns since I've started watching Raw and SmackDown again. Yeah. It's, it's just ridiculous. It's yeah. Not even good. No, it's not. It's not good. The 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 match at uh, Royal Rumble was pretty good, but it was just one of those, you know, banter ridiculous matches that, you know, you you don't really have to be 
really good, a really good wrestler to have a fun match like that. You just have to be good at playing to the crowd, and both of those guys are very good at that. And it didn't matter so, anyways. Yeah, because it didn't, it didn't interfere. I don't get it. Baron Corbin says he's going to interrupt SmackDown, and it will not continue until he gets another match with Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns comes out, beats him up, says he'll have another match, and Baron Corbin runs away. So I don't know. He was pretending like he was very brave. He was not. I just don't get it. Uh, Roman Reigns says, you know what? I don't I don't need the Usos. I love my family. You don't get your guys either, though, because our next and final match will be in a steel cage. Okay, it's fine. You know what they're going to do? What? They're going to have it the same week that Cody and uh, and What's-His-Face are having the steel cage match to take a little I, bit of the shimmer off of it. I think they're having it at Super Showdown. Are they? I fully I expected so. them to try to take the shimmer off of the uh, the Cody Wardlow match, just like they're going. They did with the uh, strap. Yeah, they had the strap match right before Cody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. So, Reigns drops the mic, and then we go to Bill Goldberg, and he is at home. And so, again, that's fine, but they had this big buildup, and if I was there live, I would have blown a gasket. I, it's, okay, we're just going to move on from that because I'm, I'm already getting angry. Bill Goldberg. He had some product placement there too with his Dodge Challenger. He did. Person for Dodge. Yeah. And so Goldberg's at his home in Texas, live via satellite, and says, you know, my buddy Brock's been real busy with Drew McIntyre and Ricochet, so I thought, what is Bray Wyatt doing? And that's, that's not much of an exaggeration. Like, tell me if I'm wrong. That's yeah. basically what he said. He's like, hmm, maybe I'll get beat up by a demon in Saudi Arabia. Exactly. And I just, I so. And, I could do a, for a couple million in blood money. Yeah. So as a kid who watched Goldberg in the late 90s, it, I, I, you know, Goldberg never lost unless it was some kind of bullcrap reason like getting hit with a taser or his tag team partner getting pinned. Like Goldberg never got pinned clean. And one of the big reasons everyone hated his WWE run is because Triple H, Triple H'd all over the place and decided to pin Goldberg. And, and his run was a flop. He was never respected. And so he comes back and he murders Lesnar in like three seconds. That's an exaggeration, but not much. And so then at the end of the feud, he finally gets pinned. I'm like, you know what? If you're going to pin Goldberg, this is a good way to do it. Brock Lesnar is a very similar character where he's very difficult to take down. And Brock Lesnar's already been murdered by Goldberg. So if he's going to lose, fine. Then Goldberg wrestles The Undertaker. And I'm like, you know what? I would be okay with Goldberg losing, which he did, because it's The Undertaker. Not only is he, you know, a 20-something year veteran of the business, you know, he is one of the most talented guys in the roster, one of the biggest names ever. And he's got a supernatural gimmick. So it would make sense for The Undertaker to beat Goldberg. Now Goldberg is going to wrestle a demon. And yes, he just destroyed Dolph Ziggler. That's fine. Is Bray Wyatt going to no-sell the spear? He has to. I mean, this match is such poor booking. There's no way... Maybe they'll surprise me, but there's no way they're going out of this match with me being happy. The Super Showdown matches are always stupid anyway. Like Kane and Brock Lesnar, Kane Velasquez and Brock Lesnar. You're like, awful. how are they gonna how are they gonna get themselves out of this? Oh, Lesnar's just gonna win in two minutes. It just blows my mind. 
So, and again, I love Goldberg. I love Bray Wyatt, and I don't want to crap all over either one of them. But I don't like this feud. I don't like it at all. I don't want to see Goldberg come back and constantly lose. I know he can't come in and destroy everyone like he used to. You got to let the younger guys over. But it's just, I think one of the things that WWE does is when a wrestler hits a certain age, and they did this with Jericho, they, they when he was in his forties. When a wrestler hits a certain age, they have a hard time letting them be a main event player. They just feed them to the younger guys. And I think there's a time and a place for that. But when you have someone that still has tread on their tires, and you know what? Goldberg does. He can come in two or three times a year for the next few years, and he can have a big match, and he can win most of his feuds and then lose every once in a while, and those losses will matter. The people that beat him will matter. I just don't see it doesn't matter if Bray Wyatt beats Goldberg. If Goldberg beats Bray Wyatt, this might be the first match ever where Goldberg's gone in as a significant underdog. Because when even when he was wrestling Taker, they're like, okay, oh, is he gonna pin Goldberg clean? That would just be crazy to see that. I don't know. I just I think Goldberg's gonna job out to the fiend, and I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. Yeah, there's no way they can they can either way, I mean, if Goldberg loses, it's bullcrap. If Bray Wyatt loses, it's bullcrap. So exactly. where do you go? Yeah, there's, there's no winner here, uh, except for the people that are live in the crowd, who I'm sure will enjoy it. So uh, Goldberg says, you know, I'm going to wrestle Wyatt, and then you get the Firefly Funhouse news. And so Bray Wyatt acts like a newscaster. The little news things on the bottom were incredible. If you haven't read them, go back and look at them. They're really good. And so Bray Wyatt basically says, I accept. And Goldberg says, your mind tricks aren't going to work on me, Bray. You know what? You're next. And then walks off. And there wasn't really much to this. It was a good little segment. Uh, again, though, for two people that I, I I love and respect as performers so much, I couldn't care less. I really couldn't. And part of it is probably because it's in Saudi Arabia, to be honest with you. So we're backstage. We see Dan O'Brien. He's in deep thought, right? He's like, hmm, what has happened here? Something happened here. Well, Heath Slater comes up, and he's basically berating him, pretending like he cares about him. He's like, man, I just want to make sure you're okay, you know, fighting the Fiend in a strap match. That was, well, that was something only an idiot would do. And so he's insulting him, and Daniel Bryan's like, you know what? Me and you in the ring right now. And then he got, Heath Slater gets no offense. Daniel Bryan wins in about three minutes. And so he hits him with a running knee. He stomps his face in the ground. He locks the LaBelle lock, and he can't even tap out because he's unconscious. The ref calls for the bell. Daniel Bryan has murdered this guy, and you know what? He's changing, and the theme changes everyone, remember? So whether or not this is going to be a heel Daniel Bryan, which it would be kind of weird because he just turned face, I don't know. But either way, it looks like it's going to be a more intense Daniel Bryan. I don't really see it as a heel move. I mean, the guy was being annoying, and he shut him up. So, you know. Whatever. Yeah, but the the stomps to the face. I don't, I don't know. He he just. It's. I think it's a very hill thing to have someone beaten and then continue to beat down on them. You don't see a lot of good guys do that. You see a lot of winners do that. That's true. Okay, there you go. Um, we go and Braun Strowman's in, being interviewed by Renee Young. Hi, Renee Young, which is weird. You don't see her on SmackDown very often anymore, and he's so happy. To have this intercontinental title that the WWE cared so much for, 
that Shinsuke Nakamura held it for about 200 days and was able to defend it a whole three times. Yes, this very prestigious intercontinental title. Reality is this thing's been on and off for, gosh, the better part of 10, 15 years now. More off than on. You have a very few, you know, a very small number of people like uh, Cody Rhodes or Chris Jericho that would hold on to this title and it would mean something. It hasn't been anything in a while. And just because you make it look all nice and new, it's just, it, it doesn't do anything to add to the prestige. If anything, it takes it away. So, uh, yeah, I could care less that Braun Strowman, this is his first singles title in the WWE. I don't care about him. I don't care about the belt. It's not that I don't like Braun Strowman. It's the fact that I'm not made to care about the Intercontinental title or Braun Strowman. Braun Strowman six months ago was on fire, and now he's a joke. And I just, I, giving him this dinky title that doesn't matter isn't going to do anything for him. Do you agree? Yeah, whenever I came back into watching WWE, I was really high on Braun Strowman. I was like, man, this guy's huge, and he's actually yeah. pretty athletic. I really like that in a wrestler. And, uh, you know, I was behind him, and the more I watched, I was like, oh, he just does the same thing every time. And he runs outside of the ring, he gets hit by the post, and then he loses. Yeah, Kyle so, says the post is his biggest enemy. Like, it's so good. It's it's true. And, you know, if if he would have won the Continental title, Intercontinental title when I first saw him, I would have been like, man, this is great. I'm, I'm excited to see this run. But now I'm just like, yeah, whatever. I mean, I don't even know what they can do to bring some prestige back to the title now. I mean, they've yeah. obviously changed the belt. That didn't do anything. But like, have to what? give it to a workhorse and let him defend it at l- on every pay-per-view. Make it matter again. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, they're not going to do that. So, I don't know. I don't know. Do you know who would be a good holder for it? Buddy Murphy or Aleister Black? A face Sami Zayn. What do you, I, I don't know. I've never seen him wrestle. So He's, in, he's an incredible wrestler. And as a baby face, he, he, he was Mr. NXT back in the day. And uh, arguably the most, you know, well-loved NXT champions of all time. And his his main roster run has been crap. That's a whole other story. Anyway, Braun's out there. And the short version is Sami Zayn and Shinsuke and Tesaro say that his win was fraudulent. And they have other friends. And then Scott Dawson and Dash Wilder attack Strowman. Uh, I don't know why. Shinsuke comes in the ring, hits a Kinshasa. And his music plays. They walk away. Let's get into something fun. Remember at the beginning of the show, or the beginning of my review of SmackDown, I said there were two segments in this show that were incredible. And I told you one was the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood parody. Well, the other is Otis. And Otis is training with Tucker for his date with Mandy Rose. And he's working out, he's eating at a dinner table, he picks up steak with his hands, which actually happened on a double date that I went on when I was a teenager. One of my buddies picked up steak with his hands, and yeah, it was really funny. Uh, I'll never forget that. So he picks up steak with his hands, and Tucker's like, no, no, no. And he sits it down, he's like telling him to use a knife. You know, it, it, it sounds dumb, and I can't do it justice. Again, it's on YouTube. Please go watch it. This is one of my favorite segments that wasn't called the Firefly Funhouse on the WWE in years. And he's got it a was, sleeveless tuxedo. It was so funny. Yeah, he, he's trying on different outfits, and Tucker keeps saying no. He finally gets on the tux, and Tucker's like, wait. And he rips off the sleeves, and it's, it's so good. The whole thing was so funny. Tucker is, is great, by the way. You know, we always talk, tell about how great Otis is. 
And it's because Tucker's overshadowed because Otis is so great. Because yeah. Tucker's really good. He is. But Otis is one of the most entertaining funny men in the WWE since, well, what, Santino Morella? Yeah, him and R-Truth are right there together for me. Yeah. So good. So good. Um, we get Apollo Crews versus Sheamus after this. Sheamus beats Apollo Crews in no time. Shorty G comes out and Sheamus destroys Shorty G. I don't care. Again? Uh, I love Sheamus. Yeah, yes, I love Sheamus. I hope something happens good here. We get a fatal four-way match. This is for the number one contender to the women's SmackDown, the SmackDown Women's Championship. And it is Alexa Bliss versus Carmella versus Dana Brooke versus Naomi. Now, I want to talk about this too. Kyle hated this. And I didn't like it. I didn't hate it as much as he did. But So the only person to get an entrance was Naomi. Naomi just returned. Naomi and Bailey had words last week. Naomi and Bailey had words during this match. So conventional wisdom says, who's going to win? Tell me. Dana Brooke. Incorrect. What conventional wisdom says... Na- he's so sarcastic. Conventional wisdom says Naomi's going to win this match. Everything pointed to her. And I even said, out loud, Naomi is such a lock for this to my beautiful wife. And what happens? Naomi gets kicked in the face by Carmella, who has done nothing for the past six months, really since coming to SmackDown. She's been champion multiple times. Yeah, but not recently. Recently, she's been a joke with our truth. She's been 24-7 champion multiple times. Oh, excuse times. me. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Pay respect to the title. Kicks Naomi in the face. One, two, three. Now, I'm okay with Naomi not winning. Because I don't think just because you come back, you shouldn't always get a always get a championship title match. I don't like things being predictable. So that's not what I'm complaining about. What I'm complaining about is when you have all these things going on, and it's not like Bailey distracted Naomi, which would have been fine. Again, hate distraction finishes, but this is one of the few times where it would have made sense. No. Naomi just get pink clean. Clean. And I don't get it. Makes no sense. Why wouldn't you have Dana Brooke, who's never going to be a star, take that pin? Makes no sense to me. I don't yeah. get it. And, and they're saying that Naomi's going to be the WrestleMania match against Bailey. What? Obviously, the, the the whole point of this match was to extend the feud with Bailey and Naomi, and they just handled it really poorly. I mean, that's all there is just... to it. And Naomi is probably my favorite woman in wrestling right now. I mean, I loved her in the Royal Rumble. I mean, I can't say I'm high on a lot of other women wrestlers, so there's not a whole lot of competition. But yeah, her interest is great. Her look is great. Her moveset is great. She's super talented. I haven't seen her on the mic a lot, but and, and I don't. I don't know why they would have her eat the pin here. It doesn't make any sense. And it's not even, if Alexa Bliss would have pinned her, I would have been okay. Yeah, Carmella. Alexa Bliss is a star. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. There's nothing against Carmella. She's been women's champion before. She did a great job. But the character she's portraying now is not a big star. It's our so truth girlfriend or whatever. Yeah, I, just, I just don't get it. Anyway, looking back at SmackDown... The ups were, were really high up, right? I mean, those two segments were two of the most entertaining segments in all of wrestling to me in a long, long time. It really harkened back to the Chris Jericho parroting the you know Cody Rhodes segments. They weren't that good, but gosh, they were just so good, so well done. But like, Baron Corbin is still feuding with Roman Reigns. It's still going on. 
Seamus is understand. facing Shorty G. This, there's nothing about this show that made me go, oh, I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah, this, this is really good. Oh, what, what great, you know, in-ring performances here. It was just a whole lot of nothing. It was a whole lot of nothing. But those two segments made it really, really good. Um, but the, to counter that, Baron Corbin and Roman Reigns still feuding. So, see, I mean, it was just the most average of all average shows. I just, it was fine. This show was fine. Um, I, I was honestly distracted a lot during this show because I didn't really enjoy it. So I was playing on my phone, which I don't like to do, especially if I have to review a show. But I'm sitting there watching it and nothing is holding my attention. It's just mediocre. I bet you got off your phone when Otis came on screen, didn't you? I 100% did. 100%. I'm actually looking forward to SmackDown next week, and I may watch it live on Valentine's Day. Just to see Car- Otis. Yeah. Carol said, "Are we? Uh, we're going to watch Otis next Friday, right? I said, that's, that's what we're going to do for Valentine's Day? Yeah. I said, okay, that's what we'll do. So next Friday, I got a cheap date. We're going to be staying at home and watching uh, <laughs> watching you gotta Otis eat and a Mandy ham. Rose going on a date. You got to eat a ham yes. while you watch them going on a date. Eat a ham? That's what Otis would want. I get it. I get it. Um, so let's move on to Monday Night Raw. So I'm going to try to get through this kind of quickly because we, we've already gone about an hour. Um, the, the show opens up. Yeah, I just, I got to rant for a second. I know I just said I was going to go through it quickly. I have said for months, ever since we started doing this podcast, really, I really hate how sometimes people lose their first or last names. really bugs me. Seth Rollins introduces the Authors of Pain and Murphy. And can you have a worse name for a professional wrestler than Murphy? And I remember I ranted about it with Mustafa Ali, and he's got his name back now. Same thing happened to Rowan. Same thing happened to Harper. Back in the, you know, Attitude Era, a lot of the women went by just their first name because, ooh, how dare you give a woman a last name? But I just... Buddy Murphy is such a cool guy. And he's one of the most talented wrestlers on the planet right now. And doing something like this takes his heat away so much because it's just dumb. The name Murphy is never going to get over. And let's be clear, guys. Why in the world can someone not have a first and a last name? Do you have to be a main eventer to not get your name taken away? I just, I don't understand. It really, really bothers me. And maybe it shouldn't bother me as much as it does, but it's so freaking stupid. I hate it. And I just, ugh, I just, ugh. Yeah, it's okay that it bothers you that much. It bothers me as well. Like, what if Seth Rollins came out next week and he's just Rollins now? No more Seth, just Rollins. I just, That's how I stupid this is. Because he's finally getting over now. He's finally getting a decent storyline. And he's been Buddy Murphy for how long? How long has he been active in the WWE roster? Couple years. Couple years. Nope, he's just Murphy now. And I'm sure next week he'll be Buddy Murphy again because they can never make their mind up on things like that. They'll this. change their mind in a couple months. And they'll be I like, hey, can't. everybody's like, this is really dumb, so we're going to change it back. And then for too long, he'll probably just be Buddy. And it's just, it's it's stupid, and I agree. I don't like it. And it's not even, if he had a cool last name, it'd be different. But his last name is Murphy. And that's a stupid wrestling name. Yeah. You talk about people like Goldberg, who still went by Bill Goldberg. Like People called him Bill Goldberg. 
but his moniker was Goldberg, right? But that's a cool, strong name. It's not like Murphy. Yeah. Plus, Goldberg looks like he can murder you, right? He, Especially in his prime. I mean, the dude looked like a killer. The former NFL player, just a monster of a man. And Murphy's, you know, 210 pounds? And if, you know, if John Moxley wanted to go by Moxley, that'd be fine. If Chris Jericho yeah. wanted to go by Jericho, that's fine. But Murphy's a stupid name for a wrestler. That's all that's there is true. to it. Yeah. Sorry if your name is Murphy. It's not a stupid name for a human, just a name for a wrestler. Yeah. I don't know. Buddy Murphy sounds cool. Murphy sounds stupid. Just, I don't get it. Whatever. We open the show with Seth Rollins, AOP, and Buddy Murphy, because I'm not calling him Murphy, in the ring. The short version is they say the word Kevin, well, the words Kevin Owens, which uh, basically Seth Rollins is wizard, because as he says Kevin Owens, Kevin Owens appears, because it is Monday Night Raw, and that's all you have to do to get people to show up. Kevin Owens... AO, or I'm, yeah, Kevin Owens and the Viking Raiders come out. Seth Rollins says, oh, which one of your friends are going to get hurt today? Ha, ha, ha. The big show's out. Samoa Joe's out. They go in. They're attacking three on four. Samoa Joe comes from behind. And Coquina clutches Seth Rollins. They all attack Samoa Joe. Doesn't matter. The faces eventually take over. It was fine. Let's talk about, let's talk about a good match finally on WWE this week. Let's talk about it. Because Becky Lynch versus Asuka was freaking awesome. This match was like 25 minutes. You can talk about not looking at my phone. Because holy smokes, I was glued to the TV the whole time. Were there a couple issues? Yeah. But again, so mediocre. When you have a 25-minute live television match, you're going to have little things like that. This was so cool. Asuka, again, one of my favorite women's wrestlers in the entire world. Becky Lynch. Very, very, very talented. Again, probably top 10 for me. Asuka might be my favorite. Uh, just both so good. They have such great chemistry. Kyrie Sane is very entertaining. This match was great. Becky Lynch got the win with some sort of, it's I don't rock know. rock bottom. It was like basically me. a rock bottom, yeah. Uh, she has a name for it. I don't know. But it's the a Becky bottom. It's not the Becky bottom. It's not uh, not a move she usually wins matches with. So and, before and, before we go into the after match segment, yeah. a couple things. Okay. I'm complaining about Baron Corbin and Roman Reigns. Yes. So to open up Raw this week, we have Seth Rollins in his outer circle versus Kevin Owens in his outer circle. Yeah. And then you have Asuka versus Becky Lynch. Right. I feel like I've seen this before. Is this deja vu? I mean, well, is this as creative have. as they can be? Because it's all just rehashes, recent rehashes. We're not supposed to have rematches anymore. They announced that about a year ago, and they well, just they dropped lied. it after like a month. Yeah. So yeah. I, don't, I don't think they can come up with a good enough storyline. I don't think they have enough long-term booking in place to have matches that aren't repeats, I guess, because this is just all we get now. Correct. And I don't want to watch two hours that are the same every week or three hours in this case every week. Well, the problem, and again, this match was awesome. So I don't want to take anything away from it. It was good, but, but there's a lot of good matches out there. And I care about the overarching story of the episode more than I do the quality of the match. Also, Oscar got beat clean a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, I guess on at the Royal Rumble. So why did she get another shot to get and beat again, clean again? I know. I don't get it. So, yeah, that was dumb. But, again, if the match is really good, I can overlook it. And I've said it before. I think I might have said it two weeks ago, actually. 
they did away with the rematch clause. And then the one that I wanted to see, AJ Styles versus Seth Rollins, no, no rematch. So it's whatever. Um, AJ Styles was injured though. Yeah. No, I'm talking about back in, back when AJ Styles, right before he turned heel, he wrestled Seth. Oh, and okay. uh, yeah, it was it was really good. But yeah, they they didn't didn't have a rematch. So um, after this match, Becky's celebrating and she gets attacked by Shayna Baszler. And I'm like, cool, this is great. This is sitting at the WrestleMania match. This is exactly what we want. And then Shayna Baszler puts her on her stomach and pulls her hair back and starts biting down on the back of her neck. And I'm like, wait a second. I don't think this is a thing. And so I ask you and Kyle, is this something Shayna Baszler does? I'm like, I don't think so. So I message my good friend, Chris Cumby, the wrestle life heel and our NXT expert. And I say, Chris, does Shanna usually bite people? And he go, he, he was not watching Ron. He's like, no, why? <laughs> and I said, because she just like bit Becky Lynch. And now she got all this fake, terrible looking blood on coming down her mouth. Like it was awful. Look, terrible blood packet. And it's all over the back. Now Becky sells this like a freaking champion. But I'm like, this is dumb. And so he's like, no, that would never happen. I don't understand why they did that. And Shayna Baszler, this M- MMA, bad to the bone woman. I mean, just freaking awesome, right? Like in real life, can murder most people with her bare hands, True. right? Instead of coming in and just manhandling Becky Lynch, a woman that she's already defeated in a triple threat match, even though she didn't pin her, at Survivor Series, it's like... I'll bite her. I'm like this yeah, is the like, most Vince McMahon thing. Came, exactly. If she would have came in and put her in a sleeper hold or something, yeah, that'd be perfect. Because she's an MMA fighter. That's what she does. But instead, they just Vince McMahon her up. I mean, she's she's obviously part of Raw now because Triple H was not involved in this decision. This not is all at Vince all. One hundred percent. And just to come in and immediately almost ruin her for me is just like, come on, man. Like, what are you doing? And Shayna Baszler, she's never going to be... You might disagree with me. She's never going to be someone that I really want to see on the main roster. Like, I wanted to see Kyrie Sane. She was never pushed. You know, she's got the women's tag team titles. But let's be real. Like, how that was probably less valuable than the 24-7 title. (laughs) It's true. Or not like, you know, when they brought up the four horsewomen. You're like, man, this is going to be great. Women's wrestling is going to be great. Or when they bring up Asuka. And you're like, Yes. Love to see Oscar on the main roster. Shayna Baszler doesn't have that for me. And, and she she's a very good presence, but she doesn't put on the type of matches that I enjoy watching. She's more of a brawler. So I, I just don't like watching her as much as I do the high flyers and the technical wrestlers. So I'm, I'm not going to be, you know, she's never going to be in my top 10 uh, I, unless she drastically changes. But I was very excited to have her come up because she held the title for like 500 and something days, you know, uh, minus that, what, 40 something day where she didn't have it. Yeah, she's been very dominant and she's good. Like I know, like Chris hates her because he says she's the female Brock Lesnar. I get that. You know, she just kind of comes in, does some MMA moves, beats everybody up. But this is going to be a fun feud. And then they come in and I can just see Paul Heyman be like, Vince, listen, this is a bad woman. We're going to have her come in. We're going to have her choke out Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch is going to lay on the ground unconscious. She's going to stand over her with a smirk on her face and the crowd is going to eat it up. They're going to boo her out of the building. And Vince is like, eh, have her bite her. Like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> exactly. What do you mean bite her? Like, what, she's an MMA fighter. We're going to have her murder Becky Lynch by choking her out. Yeah, it's been done. Samoa Joe it's- does that. Brock Lesnar does it. 
Let's have her bite her, pal. He's like, you know how Mike Tyson got all that publicity for biting that one guy? She's a fighter, too. She can bite Becky Lynch and it'll get all kinds of publicity. We'll be on Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. We'll be everywhere. I mean, I just, I don't get it. I, and, and apparently people didn't hate it as much as I did. I hated it, man. I thought it was so stupid. And the blood looked so, so fake. Becky Lynch sold it like a champion. She's screaming. The the paramedics are coming out there, um, cleaning up her neck wound, which was, you know, just red liquid on her neck. Uh, and they're taking her to the back. By the way, Raw has picture-in-picture, picture, very AEW picture-in-picture picture now, uh, where they show the picture-in-picture picture of entrances and of, like, people walking to the back. It's actually, it was very well done this week, and I was impressed. Mojo Raleigh and Riddick Moss wrestled the Street Profits. I don't know why. The Street Profits won in, like, three minutes, and then Mojo's, like, standing over Riddick's like, what's wrong with you? And Riddick Moss rolls up Mojo Raleigh in the world's longest roll-up. And it lasted like eight seconds because the referee, I guess, had no idea what was happening because like he wasn't in the ring. He was not prepared for this. And he finally got in, counted to three, could have counted to 14. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. Riddick Moss is your new 24-7 champion. I do not know why I turned on Mojo Raleigh. Just whatever. <sighs> Becky Lynch is backstage. She's arguing with officials and paramedics. She does not want to go up. She does not want to go to the hospital. They talk her into it, but she says, fine, I'm driving myself. She throws out the driver and steals the ambulance, which I'm pretty sure is a felony. You know what? In wrestling, they've kidnapped people. You know, they've destroyed people, dismembered people, whatever. It's, <sighs> tempted murder. It's fine. MVP is back, which is really surprising because he came back. He's in the Royal Rumble. He lost to Rey Mysterio, and he said, this is wonderful. I did this for my son. I'm so glad to be a part of this again. You know, I came in, and I wrestled my son's favorite wrestler. It was good. See you guys soon. And he came back a couple weeks later. And apparently during the commercial break, everyone was chanting MVP. That quickly changed because MVP has always been amazing on the mic. And if MVP, nothing against his in-ring work, he's solid. But if he was ever a top-tier worker, he would have been a superstar. Because the dude is so good on the mic. He had got people to turn on him immediately. He calls out Drew McIntyre and says he's inviting him to the VIP lounge. Drew McIntyre comes up, and there's these like private party guys that are sitting there not letting Drew through. And they have this like barrier up. And the, the guy who's running the show just invited him. But the guy's like, I don't know if we can let you in. So he just pushes it down and walks over it, which is a perfectly acceptable thing to do because he just got invited by the guy running the show. That was dumb, but again, that's that's something I can overlook. It was fine. This segment was good. Drew McIntyre is so entertaining. People, some people are complaining they just want him to be, you know, this awesome, you know, uh, face but still bad to the bone tap guy. Reality is, Drew McIntyre is incredibly talented. He's very funny. And uh, he, he's got great delivery. He's got great charisma. And with this like sexy Scotsman or whatever this gimmick is that he, he's running with, it, it brings out his real personality. And if you want to be a major player in, in professional wrestling, you need to bring out your, your real personality. Drew McIntyre uh, argues with MVP because MVP says, hey, I want to be your advocate. I want to be your Paul Heyman. And McIntyre's like, nah, bro, I don't need that. So MVP insults him and McIntyre claymores him into his couch. It was really good. I love this segment.
Yeah, I really like how he got that jab in at Brock Lesnar and furthered their storyline through this segment. And basically exactly. saying, I can talk for myself. I'm an adult. You know, unlike Brock Lesnar. Yeah. I, I like that. great. That was good. It was great. Angel Garza versus Cedric Alexander is next. And I love Cedric Alexander. He got dropped for no reason. Uh, this was, and, and I'm like, I'm really excited for this match. And then Humberto comes out. And Humberto and Angel Garza are fighting. I'm like, oh no, I was really looking forward to this match. And uh, they finally take away Humberto. Angel Garza, who has now gotten beaten up as the bad guy, must face a good guy. Uh, whatever. It's, again, my, maybe that's too nitpicky, but it bothered me. This match was not as good as I wanted it to be. And I think it's just because they didn't really give him a whole lot of time. Angel Garza and Cedric Alexander are both amazing workers. The match could have been better, but it wasn't bad. Garza beat Alexander in a few minutes. Alexander's just, he's a jobber again. And apparently Vincent Mann is totally done with him, which is disappointing. The guy is incredibly talented. We show that Rhea Ripley, how she was interrupted by Charlotte Flair last week. Um, and then they show what happened at uh, uh, TakeOver Portland. Then she's backstage. She's getting interviewed. And Sarah Logan comes up and she's like, who are you? And then Rhea Ripley says, I'm Rhea Ripley. Who are you? And there was like, oh, and she walks away. And uh, we're going to have a match with them later tonight. Sarah Schreiber is backstage with Lana and Bobby Lashley. Lana cuts a terrible promo. Bobby looks kind of irritated. And Bobby says, tonight I'm going to murder Ricochet because I'm much bigger than he is. And that's really, I mean, that's the short version, guys. That's what he said. Rhea Ripley beat Sarah Logan in about 90 seconds. What are we doing with Sarah Logan? It's fine. But reality is, I kind of like it because as she's murdering her, Charlotte Flair comes out and she watches... And uh, Rhea Ripley's like, when am I going to get my answer? And Charlotte's like, you'll get your answer when I'm ready. Ha ha. Yeah, they're just going to drag it out as long as they can. I think Charlotte's supposed to be at TakeOver Portland this Sunday. We'll see. Yeah, I, I can imagine that because I think Rhea's got a match against Bianca Belair. And I think that Rhea's going to retain. And I think that Charlotte's like, all right, I'll wrestle you. Yeah. And I think that's how it's going to go. It could be a triple threat match. We'll see. Um, Ricochet versus Bobby Lashley, another really, really solid match. Ricochet obviously is super talented. Bobby Lashley is better than anyone gives him credit for. Ricochet pinned Bobby Lashley clean in the 630 that he did on this man. Like, luckily, Bobby Lashley is a wall because he landed like on his upper chest right below his neck, like with his full body weight. Ricochet doesn't weigh a lot for a professional wrestler, but he still weighs like 225 pounds. So when 225 pounds is falling from six feet in the sky onto your to your upper chest and your neck, gotta hurt, man. So he lands on him, pins him one, two, three. The match was solid. And I, I legitimately, like as soon as Ricochet landed, I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope Bobby is okay. But he rolls over, he's talking to the ref, and then he rolls out of the ring, so you know he's fine. But yeah, I just, I was, I'm just glad that Bobby Lashley survived. This match was good. Moving on. So Randy Orton comes out. And he's like, man, I I guess I should still show you guys an explanation. And then Matt Hardy comes out and says, hey, Randy, we deserve an explanation. And I'm like, but isn't that what he just said? I, I, ugh. So yeah. Uh, Matt Hardy cuts a solid promo because Matt Hardy always cuts solid promos. And he says, you know what? Everyone here knows my history with Edge. There was a point in my life where no one on this planet 
hated Edge more than Matt Hardy. And for those of you that don't know, just look up Matt Hardy, Edge, Lita. Just Google it. Play yeah, things the will come crowd up. was sure to chant Lita's name. They sure did. And so Matt Hardy says, you know what? In these past couple years, we've mended things. When he had to rest, when he had to retire due to injury, it broke my heart. And I just don't know why you would do what you did. And Randy Orton, as he was about to answer him, goes for an RKO, but Matt Hardy reverses it. They fight for a few seconds, but it doesn't matter. To no avail, Matt Hardy gets RKO'd. But it's not over. Because Randy Orton puts the chair on Matt Hardy's face, below Matt Hardy's face, and can chair toes Matt Hardy, who, as far as we know, is now done with what is likely his final run in the WWE. I think he's dead. <laughs> yeah, he afterwards tweeted uh, a video, a clip of the uh, segment, and just put goodbye on there. Um, he's been doing this YouTube series here lately called uh, Free the Delete. Yeah, it's good. Rhymes with being the elite, doesn't it? Uh, he's been doing this show, and he's been talking about being in limbo, basically waiting for his contract to be over. He's made just blatant allusions to he's ready to be out of the contract so he can do things more creatively. But, you know, I don't believe anything until I see somebody on AEW television, on Impact television, because yeah. for all we know, they could just be using this to get some more money. Randy Orton like did Randy it. Orton did. Yeah, just like smart. Some other people have done, you know. So I don't believe anything yet. Um, the Dark Order actually tweeted afterwards. Uh, Evil Uno tweeted, you say goodbye, I say hello. Obviously alluding to the fact that a lot of people think that Matt Hardy is the exalted one. Yeah. And that's just, I, I honestly thought he could be too. But that's just way too on the nose for me. So. Yeah, I was convinced he was until that tweet. On yeah, the, that's on the just most like, recent, well, never mind. Yeah, on the most recent Free the Delete, Matt Hardy kind of teases that he's the exalted one because he's like, I am exalted. <gasps> I am exhausted. <gasps> he's like, you know, breathing real heavy. And he's like, I am exhausted. And then later in there, later toward the very end of that episode, it's only three minutes long, He's you see Bray Wyatt and you hear the words, let me in. And then Matt Hardy like stops and he picks up the phone. He's like, hey, is he there with you? And I'm like, so he's teasing, going to AEW and teasing, staying in the WWE at the same time. The dude's a creative genius, man. I'm telling you. He's, no matter he's what fantastic. he does, I hope this, and again, I love Matt Hardy. I love all his stuff, but they did not do the delete character right in the WWE. And I understand that, you know, a lot of the, the casual fans didn't really know how to take it. But I think if they would have given it the time, that people would have really gotten behind it. He's very talented. Yeah, I would love to see two options from Matt Hardy. Number one being going to AEW and being the exalted one. Uh, I think he would be fantastic in that role. He's so creative. He'd gr give so much credence to that storyline. And not only that, but he's he could obviously just write it himself. I mean, obviously he'd have everybody else's input, but for him to be involved would be great. But an, another option for him is I don't want to see him on Raw or SmackDown because they're not going to handle him well. I mean, with Vince in control, they're not going to handle him well. I think he would be good on NXT as a coach and as a creative director because my main gripe with NXT, the reason I don't watch it, is because it's boring. Not a lot happens storyline-wise. I understand it's, it's the uh, you know where they're training up, and it's got some really good wrestling, but there's no good stories to me. 
I think he'd be great there. Either one, I think he'll do great. I think that he's going to choose whatever gives him the most creative freedom at this point in his career. He's got enough money. I mean, if you've watched his YouTube series, you've seen his house. Dude's made bank. I don't think he needs money anymore. So I think he's going to go to where he can be more creative, whether that be staying in WWE, going to AEW, maybe going to Ring of Honor, or maybe just not doing anything for a little while. So we'll see. Yeah, I think that, uh, and we'll go ahead and announce it now. Unless something changes, this weekend's roundtable, or this weekend's podcast will be a roundtable, and we're going to talk about who the Exalted One might be. And uh, I'd be a liar if I said Matt Hardy's name isn't going to come up. Definitely going to. So we go from here, and we get Alistair Black versus Akira Tozawa, and Alistair Black's super talented, Akira Tozawa's super talented. We just had this. Like, he just kicked his head off once or twice before in the last month or two. I don't know why they're doing this. Alistair Black kicks his head off, match is over. He he does the he cuts a promo and he does the Watchmen line where um oh gosh what's the Watchmen character's name Rorschach Rorschach yeah he does the Rorschach line and says you know once you get in this ring I'm not stuck in here with you you're stuck in here with me and I'm like that's fine that's a good line but it, the segment was just I, I don't know I, I, Alistair Black's promos are just so weird. Like, he's just so good. Just let him kill people. That's all I want. Let him murder people. Let him put on amazing matches. It's fine. We come back. Becky Lynch is back. And she's walking to the ring. She comes to the ring. And she is yelling for Shayna and says, Shayna, come out here right now. And she waits for a minute. Shayna does not show up. And she says, well, you better hope you find me again before I find you. And she leaves. She's got a tape. She's got uh, tape and, you know, like this stuff on the back of her neck. So Kevin Owens is backstage with the Viking Raiders and Samoa Joe. And then we get your main event, which is Joe and Owens and the Viking Raiders versus Seth Rollins and the Outer Circle. And uh, I am pleasantly surprised because as soon as Seth Rollins tags Buddy Murphy, I'm like, oh man, Buddy Murphy's going to eat the pin here. But Buddy Murphy, thanks to Seth Rollins' help, pins Samoa Joe. And oh, he just kind of laid there. Yeah. So basically, uh, Buddy Murphy was tapping out to Samoa Joe, but Seth Rollins comes in and curb stomps Joe in the back of the head, and Buddy Murphy rolls over onto him. One, two, three, and then one of the AOP guys comes in and like drags Buddy Murphy out of the ring, and the four of them go back up the ramp, and that was Monday Night Raw. And this match was again fine. Like it wasn't great. For, for the guys that are in the match, it could have been great. But it was just so WWE, like so paint by numbers. But th- it was just, it was fine. It really wasn't a bad match. So I, I would, I'm down with it, man. It's good. Raw was better than SmackDown to me, um, even though SmackDown had better segments because uh, Raw had very good in ring matches. And I'll, I said it a thousand times. I'll say it again. If you have good matches, I'll overlook the other crap. The Becky Oscar match was incredible. It was long. It's good. I loved it. Ricky C. and Lashley was pretty stinking good. Um, you know, the, the main event was pretty good. And then when you have the Matt Hardy, Randy Orton segment, which is which is terrific, it it, it it makes for a good show. Was this as good as the other Raws that they've had in the last few weeks? No, it wasn't. It was pretty good. And I'm going to give it a B. I thought this show was above average. It was fun. Um, I, I guess... You know, Shanna Bays was a vampire now. Maybe she's going to join the brood. I don't know. Bring that back. Have Gangrel manager. It's just, it was, it, the show was fine. It wasn't bad. And 
I guess that's, you know, you don't want to watch something. You're like, ah, it wasn't bad. But you that don't three really. Three hours expect, of my afternoon is fine. Yeah. You don't expect a lot from WWE television lately. But these last few weeks with Raw has been really good. And I think that was a above average show. And it still wasn't as good as what it's been. So I'm going to give it a B. I thought it was just fine. Not as good as, neither show was as good as Dynamite. That is the usual. But uh, yeah, I actually enjoyed watching Raw this week. At SmackDown, I could have given or taken. I didn't, I wasn't disliking the show because there were some things that were really good. But, you know, if I didn't watch SmackDown this week and I would have caught those two segments on, on YouTube, probably a better use of my time. But I enjoyed Raw. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I sat down for three hours and watched it. I really am. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode two of Wrestle Life Radio. Yes, we have still gone long, even without Mr. Kyle Pauly here, so we can no longer blame him for having long shows. Make sure to follow us wherever and whenever. We want you on Facebook and Instagram at Wrestle Life Radio and on Twitter at Wrestle Life Pod. Uh, make sure you follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Wrestle Life Matt and follow Kyle on Instagram at Kyle.Pauly. Also, we always announce it on our, on our, um, on our Facebook and Instagram posts, but we don't talk about it a lot on the show. If you want to, to actually appear on the show, you want to make a comment about something, you want to ask us a question, you can do that. Just wherever you click the link to see the show, it should be in the description. If not, you can email us on, or you can message us on Instagram or Twitter, and we'll send you the link so you can, you know, message us and ask a question, and we will play it on air for you. So, fun, right? Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for hanging out with us. We appreciate you. Micah, do you want to add anything else before we wrap up? I think we got it. All right, we got it. Ladies and gentlemen, have a wonderful evening. We will see you this weekend.